0: Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokoczuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience podcast. Today I have with me Susan Hickson. Susan is a trademark attorney and brand name creation strategist. She helps businesses and entrepreneurs create beautiful brand names for their products and services. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Roman.
0: My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you kind of get started?
1: Wow, okay. Well, I was born in a quaint town. No, I'm kidding. I won't. I won't go all the way back to um, that era. But I will. I'll start after um, having graduated from law school, which was just about 15 years ago. <laughs> so I've been practicing law for a while. Um, I started out in patent prosecution. So I've always. I've always been a patent or a, an IP attorney, but I started out specifically in patent work and that area was a little boring and slow for me. So I evolved into trademark law after about a year and a half of practice and it was much better fit for me. So trademark law is you know when you work primarily with people who are in the marketing space. So I worked at a large law firm. So I've been there, kind of done that in the big law firm world where you're just kind of a cog in a big machine. And I, I think it's great experience to, and I'm very um, grateful that I had the opportunity to work as a slave in a big law firm. I feel like it's a, a good way for, for people to sort of cut their teeth and And you learn a lot I mean you're a little bit of a whipping boy or girl but it is a great way to learn the law right but at the end of the day I knew deep down I'm an entrepreneur at heart so after practicing in the big law firm world I went solo (laughs) and it was quite an experience and it has been quite an experience but when you're in a situation where you are not doing the marketing or, you know, when you go from a law firm to a solo practice or a boutique, like then you're doing marketing, then you're doing advertising, then you're practicing law, right? So like you're doing, you're wearing a lot of different hats. And I recently wrote down sort of an organizational chart for my own boutique law practice just to kind of get an idea of like everything that you know is going on in my own practice and it's still even though it's small it's still very analogous to that big law firm. But as a solo you're kind of doing everything. <laughs> and I'm I'm finally getting to the point in my own practice and I'm very thankful for this that I am starting to find other people for these other roles within my practice to help me so this current stage that I'm at and understand you know this was like 15 years condensed into about three minutes <laughs> but uh, my, my current sort of incarnation of my practice is that it's the private label law boutique And what we do is we really help clients create long-term wealth with their private label products. And I really work a lot with people who are in the private label industry and I help guide them through the complexities of the legal landscape so that they can grow their own private label businesses securely and confidently on a daily basis. So even though I'm a trademark attorney, by um, experience, and that's my expertise. Trademark law itself is a very—it's it's kind of just a sliver of the whole pie of the private label world. And private label just is just so your listeners know, and you know they might be like, "Oh, that's actually what I'm doing." But private label is when people of create their own brand or maybe they already have their own brand and then they they import products that have sort of already been created of course a lot of people will make sm- minor changes to those products and then they'll import them and then they'll sell those products under their own brand names
0: okay so it's kind of like a white label thing and you you rebranded under your company in a way
1: correct correct
0: Now, what are some of the kind of considerations you see in those processes? You know, why might a company need you and your services or like what are the kind of heartaches that having a a great, you know, trademark attorney focusing on this helps avoid?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really great question one of the biggest issues that i see in this space is creating proper brand names for those products that they're importing and this primarily applies to people or businesses who haven't already created their their brand names so it's one of those areas that i feel like is often overlooked and people don't realize the importance of strong trademark uh, creation. And just a little side step here, Roman, when I say trademark, that's equivalent to a brand name. So sometimes I use those interchangeably, trademark and brand name. But they don't really realize the importance of doing that brand name creation in a really thoughtful way until (laughs) <laughs> they get a C-synthesis letter from someone, <laughs> right? Or they're like, oh, I want. I need to have a good brand name so I can enroll it on Amazon's brand registry program because they're also selling their products on Amazon, which is what a, you know, a lot of people are doing who, who do private label. They might have their own e-commerce site, but they're also selling their products on third-party channels such as Amazon, or jet or even etsy so then they're like oh i need to have a trademark that really sets me apart or one that's strong um or like i said or they're they're on that receiving end of a demand letter because maybe they didn't do that clearance search at the very beginning so what i really love to do is i love to work with people in this space who are at the early stages of product you know kind of figuring out what product they want to sell, because I can help them create a really great trademark. That's going to be amazing from both the marketing and the legal perspective. And again, that process, and and people can do this on their own. And it it, it really isn't rocket science, science, (laughs) but there are some really important considerations. And that's why I say that I think it's important to do it with thought, right? Like, Some people will create a trademark by sort of describing the underlying product. And that's very dangerous because, first of all, it's very difficult to ultimately get that trademark registered. And then, second of all, it's really hard to distinguish yourself from everyone else because, guess what? Everyone else. Should get to describe their product the very same way, <laughs> so I, I see that a lot where people want to kind of describe their product. Now, and by by the flip side of that, there are people that think that if they just throw out a bunch of Scrabble pieces and select some consonants and vowels and <laughs> kind of have like this crazy coin term, that that's going to be a great trademark as well. But there there are some marketing concerns when when they do you know that you know they create a trademark via that strategy as well so it's really important to find that balance like there is a nexus there of great trademarks that can be strong from not just the legal perspective but also the marketing perspective and i think that it's it's becoming more and more important to really find that nexus because There are a lot of trademarks out there, right? Like we're, we're kind of bombarded by brand names, like on an hourly basis. (laughs) So you, you want trademarks that are unique and distinctive and not descriptive and, you know, those that can ultimately get registered because I tell people who are in this space that with trademarks, you get a lot of bang for your buck because it's not that expensive to get a registration, and it's one of those assets that will actually increase in value over time. So your tangible products might ultimately rust away or end up in a landfill, right? Or your tangible products might evolve, but your brand name can actually increase in value over time and an example of that could be harley davidson right that that brand name is a very famous and valuable brand name and i don't know this for sure but i could argue that the value of that brand name itself may be higher than all of the tangible products that harley davidson owns they um, do a ton of licensing so trademarks are one of those assets that can be utilized for additional streams of revenue for your business, such as by licensing. And I think that people kind of overlook that. So it's important. So when you're built, you know, when you're starting a business, please don't undervalue the importance of, of your trademark. Do it, do it thought, you know, create that trademark thoughtfully and really, you know appreciate the value that's an inherent in it and understand that that value itself you know can actually grow over time and i think that's really cool
0: yeah i think uh, i guess doing it the right way to begin with can you know lead to that exponential value of it and avoid a lot of headaches in terms of lawsuits and things of that nature
1: yes and It's, you know, just my mantra is, it's less expensive to be proactive than reactive. And, you know, it's so true when it comes to trademarks. So just go through that process of creating that trademark, um, you know, thoughtfully. And when you think that you found this trademark that you're, that you love, try not to fall in love too much with it yet, but I understand if it happens, it, it, it happens. But, you know, do those clearance searches before, Actually, putting it to use and, and before filing it, those clearance searches are really important. People can do them on their own. You can outsource it. You can have an attorney do it for you, but that just increases your confidence level as you proceed. And when you start using the trademark, you know, just start, just be conservative in initial amounts of money that you spend in marketing and then just slowly increase those expenditures as your confidence level in that trademark increases. And that can only happen over time. You're not going to have a Harley Davidson or Coca-Cola or an Apple overnight. And you probably won't have it in two years, (laughs) but you know, the, the goal is to ultimately increase the value of that brand name. And it really just happens over time.
0: Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed?
1: What motivates me to succeed? Well, I am a big advocate of having a work-life balance and I know it's a little cliche, but when I was a cog in the big law firm machine, I had absolutely no work-life balance. (laughs) I was working like, you know, 12 hours a day and I was at my desk a lot. I wasn't Not only did I have not have a lot of time, um, you know, balance. I also wasn't really away from my desk that much, and so ultimately, when I started my own practice, I said it's going to be very important to me to have more of a work-life balance because I have to have control over my time. And as I have ultimately manifested my own practice and designed it the way that I want it to be. And I have felt that goodness of having the work-life balance, like, oh, guess what? I can leave the office at three if I haven't scheduled a meeting or something and go for a run, or I can go have like a little ice cream social with my niece and nephews, you know, at that time, like after school, you know, having that kind of having that, the taste of that has actually motivated me to continue improvements within my practice. And it's, you know, the way that I've created my practice didn't happen overnight. You know, I was working very hard when I first started my law firm and I still work hard, but it's, I'm very um, thoughtful in how I structure my time and, you know, seeing that and the benefit that having the, the work-life balance and, you know, being able to, to do these actions, like maybe spend some time meditating, working out, those types of things really help me in my practice as well when I'm actually working because I can focus, right? Like I can, I know that I can focus for two to four hours. If you are in your, you know, if you're creating your business and you are not allowing yourself that time to also play, really, I think it hurts you from a work perspective, that balance is so important and being able to talk with people and help them create, you know, a work environment where they they, they can work hard when they're there, but they allow themselves that time. That motivates me also. I love helping other people succeed in their own practices, whether or not, you know, they're building their own kind of boutique practice as well because I've worked with other attorneys to, to help them do this or, you know, other types of businesses. That really that motivates me, honestly, seeing other people succeed but without slaving away, <laughs> you know, every single day because I know it can happen. And I think that as we progress as a society, that people really are, you know, they're starting to realize, you know what, maybe I don't care about that corner office so much. You know what, working 12 hours a day is not a badge of honor. (laughs) You know, like it's, people realize that, you know, working maybe five hours a day and making it to their daughter's ballet recital, that's what's important. And thankfully, we have technology these days that can help us. And I know that the pace of my practice and and my workflow, Roman, moves so much faster than it even did five years ago. And that's, that's thanks to technology, right? Like a few years ago, I would sit down and I would construct like a very formal email about something, you know, in a response to something. And now, you know what I do? Sometimes I open up Loom or BombBomb, which are two platforms that I've, I use to do um, video messages to people. And people love that, right? Like that's cool technology that you can use. It, you know, it's verbal instructions, it's verbal requests. The only downside I have found of those right now are that they're not, the, the content within them are not searchable. So if you are, you know, wanting to be able to search your email correspondence for certain things, it's going to, you can't do that. But at the same time, I've had such amazing response from clients who are like, oh my gosh, I love seeing your face. And I think I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I guess my point here is really I love the fact that we can take advantage of technology now to make our, our businesses easier and more fun. And we're even though sometimes technology has been criticized for kind of taking away the human element, I you know, I think it's important to look out there and see. What technologies are available to us to make our lives easier, to make our businesses move faster, to create that human element and to also, you know, make it so that we can actually get work done quicker, more efficiently and put the work away when we're finished with it at the, you know, at the end of the day. So we can go and see our son's soft, you know, baseball um, game. I think that's so, so important.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's kind of reprioritizing as well as kind of the new economy where a lot of it is, uh, you know, people freelancing or working remotely or working different kind of schedules or, you know, from home most of the time. And I think it's what works in someone's you know situation. And I think uh, people may still want that corner office, but you can still attain the same amount of success doing things for your own or kind of finding the right fit that you know, keeps you Same, sane yeah. <laughs> and le- uh, living you the lifestyle that makes you happy.
1: Yes. And, you know, I I feel like we sort of have been groomed as a society. Um, and maybe it's just the era that I've grown up in. But, you know, oh, you should want that corner office, right? Like, and you should work hard every day, you know. And I, I think that the 40-hour work week, is a bunch of BS at this point. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I I just feel like we can get so much more done in such a shorter amount of time. And it's okay to take a mental health Friday and use that as a way to stimulate your creative side. And I've never considered myself like a creative person, but I've been trying to integrate creative creative activities into my life more because I'm convinced that that will, you know, stimulate me in other ways. So, you know, I think it's important that people have that balance. And of course, I think it's hard too, because a lot of times, like as entrepreneurs, we love, we like what we do, right? Like, and we like learning and we like challenges. And a lot of times we like working. Um, <laughs> and, you know, kind of allowing that cut off time um, and saying, you know what, I'm gonna take a step back from the technology and I'm gonna take a step back from looking at a computer screen and I'm gonna go and meditate or I'm gonna go and take a walk in the woods. And those types of things are so good for that other side of our brains. And fortunately I think that people are are becoming more aware of that, right? Like I think that they're starting to appreciate that more.
0: Yeah, I agree. So what's one weakness that you may have had in the past that you turned into a strength and utilized today?
1: Um, I think in the past I've had trouble asking for help and I've wanted to do everything myself. I think that's maybe a little bit of an entrepreneurial trait where we, I I don't know if it's being afraid to ask for help but it's more wanting to learn everything yourself. And when you are in that position where you know, you don't want to ask for help, you end up taking on too much, right? And you end up doing things that maybe you're not awesome at. You're not working in your zone of genius. And I think that it's important for people to understand and take a step back and say, well, wait a second here. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to outsource, right? It's okay to, for me to take a look at this whole big picture of my business or my practice or whatever you're, whatever it is that you're doing and say, okay, I am really, really good at this one thing or two things, but I am not so good at these other things and getting comfortable with asking for help for those things that you're not totally rad at, right. Or, you know, outsourcing that, finding someone that can help you. And I, you know, I haven't been great at that. And I feel like over just the last maybe three years, I've finally gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what? I can't do it all. Like I need help. I need to ask for help in these certain areas. And I think that people should take a step back from whatever their business is. You know, try to pull yourself back and look at your business from that 10,000 foot view. Because a lot of times we get lost in, we get lost. We can't see the forest because we're lost amongst the trees, right? But if you can take a big, take that step back, look at your business from a ten thousand foot perspective. Write down all the different moving parts that you have in your business. All the different, um, you know, are you do, what, what admin um, roles are going on? What business development roles are going on? What client services roles are going on? And figure out where are you amazing. You know what? What are you amazing at? Where's your zone of genius? And then stick you. You know, say, hey, I'm gonna do this. And then take a look at these other roles in your business. And maybe, maybe you're not so rad at those roles. Consider and be okay with asking for help and letting someone else have the opportunity. Pay someone else to do those things, right? You know, because because there is someone else out there who likely, you know, has that as their zone of genius. So help them help you. And again, Rowan, it it took me a while to get to that point. And so if someone is just starting out with a business, it, you know, they're going to want to do everything. They may not want to ask for help, but take a look at a, a business that is similar to yours and create that organizational chart. Take that step back. Figure out where are you within your business that you can really do something amazing because that's your, you know, maybe you're the visionary in that space. So, and, and be ready to ask for help in those roles that you're not great at. It takes a while to get there, but I think the sooner you can do it, the better you are in your business in the long run.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's important to double down on your strengths and I think a lot of people are taught you know, improve your weaknesses, but that just kind of, in an entrepreneurial sense, just slows you down. Um, And having experts within your weaknesses to help you get further while you double down on your strengths can obviously go a long way.
1: Yes, and you know, you don't have to hire. Because I think that people get a little scared of hiring, and I understand that. You don't have to hire for these these other roles, right? Like you can hire, you know, you can use independent contractors, um, and and that's what I would suggest doing at first, if anything, or, or maybe attempt just to make sure that a role for that is actually needed in your business, because sometimes it may not be, or maybe it's just a temporary role that can satisfy the task that needs to be finished. But you know, be ready to ask for help. Du- you know, double down on on your strengths. That's <laughs> yeah, double down on your strengths. I like that. So I. I, and like I said, I, I understand the the fact that a lot of entrepreneurs are curious and we like to learn and we like to look at these other tasks that we could be doing, but really think about whether or not it makes sense. And if you're moving your business forward, when you're putting yourself in those other roles, you may not be, you might actually be holding the, your business back.
0: I agree. So what's one piece of advice you have for the audience, either personal or professional?
1: So I think my biggest piece of advice and you know, when I give advice to people, it's usually because I've screwed something up in the past. <laughs> you know, I feel like the way that we learn the best is by our mistakes. And so this is a piece of advice from a mistake that I've made that I have made in the past. But my, my biggest mistake, I feel like, is that I didn't get a mentor sooner. Now, I had a mentor when I was in a law firm and that mentor actually I had a couple. And those, those mentors guided me from the perspective of, you know, this is how you practice law. This is how you write a formal legal opinion on something. And, and they were great mentors. But when I went solo and I kind of started my own boutique practice, I didn't have a mentor and I should have. I went for years without having a mentor. And that was a big mistake. I look back and realize I could have moved my practice forward a lot quicker if I'd had a mentor. And when I say mentor, it's usually someone who can help you take a step back and it kind of goes back to what I mentioned a minute ago to help you take that step back and ask questions about you and your business. And a lot of times we're, you know, when you are in your business, you're asking questions, you're just asking these questions from the perspective of being this little person in the forest, but it's really great to have someone. And and I don't mean necessarily a coach, but I mean a mentor, someone who forces you to ask yourself these big picture questions about your business, because a lot of times you might be, you might be missing important facets or you might be missing important markets within your business that you're just not realizing because you're, you're in the, you know, you're amongst the trees. I use this, this, I'm using this, you know, forest and trees cliche thing that we hear so much of, but I can't even really <laughs> properly um, state it. But, you know, I think that one of the best things that you can do is get a mentor who's not employed by you, someone who is yeah, older and wiser than you, <laughs> because there's a lot to be said for having a few gray hairs out there. And um, you know, I I wish I would have done that sooner. Honestly, I wish I would have done that as soon as I had started my solo practice. I wish I would have gotten a mentor because um, I, I have one now, and it's just absolutely um, improved my practice, you know, tenfold. So please get mentors they're so important
0: yeah i agree a mentor or someone that's kind of like an advisor like you said somebody that's been through you know what you may be going through now and somebody what is where you may want to be in you know x amount of years five ten years to really help you uh, avoid some of those kind of pain points that you may experience if you go at it yes alone. and
1: i love that like get you know look for maybe a mentor like you said who is where you want to be right and they they say that like your net worth is your network so you know get a mentor who you aspire to be I think that is so important and they don't have to be in your industry and it might be better if they're not in your industry right like someone who can take a look at it from totally different perspectives I think that's I think that's important. My my mentor that I have right now, he's not an attorney, and that's kind of one thing I love about him. <laughs> you know, he he's he looks at it. He looks at my practice and guides me from having these very different this very different perspective. And I think that's I think that's crucial. I think it's really crucial. You know, and if you don't have like a single mentor that that you can look to, like, consider, can you kind of develop your own, can you develop your own personal board of, uh, board of advisors, right? Um, I think that that's, that's so important. Just, you know, you cannot work and succeed in a silo. And I look at my practice, what, you know, where it was when I first started and I was working a little bit in a silo and I didn't grow. I was very stagnant and I didn't really start taking off until I, Kind of got out of my comfort zone and got that mentor. So do it. It is that, that like that's just the biggest piece of advice I can give to people get a mentor.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you?
1: Yeah, well, um, Roman, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with your audience. And people can find me at theprivatelabellawyer.com, label lawyer.com or if they have any questions about. Anything that I've talked about, they can reach out to me at Suzy, and that's S U Z I, at the private Or, you know, of course, find me on that website. And if anyone wants um, a free checklist on brand protection tips, they can also find that on my website on the top bar. So thank you.
0: Awesome. Thanks again for uh, stopping by.